Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. We're also joined this morning by Tony Otley, Chief Operating Officer, and Mark Scott, Chief Emotions Officer of Bella and Duke. I'm Don Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. If you have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Gentlemen, the Herald, that fine paper, reveals Scotland's ferry network could be broken up and the most lucrative routes sold to private firms. Do you see choppy or smooth waters ahead, Willie? Well, there's no doubt it's going to be choppy, you know, because... uh, any attempts that the government, most governments have, you know, try to hive things off or to nationalise things don't work. Um, so for me, there's no doubt for me that the whole ferry thing would be run better in private hands. But it, no matter what, it, it's not viable if you do not have a government subsidy. The proof will be in the pudding. But I think, that, to answer your question, there will be many, many choppy waters ahead. Tom? <laughs> yes, it won't be plain sailing. Oh, um, dear. Oh dear, for a Sunday morning, that's brutal. Um, yeah, I mean, like like Willie, I I believe that in private hands things are run better. But if it's, I mean, and let's face it, the ferries are a lifeline for the islands of Scotland. Therefore, they need to be run, and maybe there is, there isn't private profit in it, Donald. Therefore, there needs to be some form of government subsidy. But government running businesses is a recipe for disaster. So we need to find a better way for the islanders of Scotland. I've got an idea. Right. Bring in a consultant, okay? A consultant, a good one. And absolutely get to the bottom of the cost of each of the ferry services, okay? And once that you have determined that this is the actual cost then the straight deal with the private supplier is is that you will operate that. We will then make up the difference in a subsidy because you will run at a loss, right? But we need this We need this service. We will make up the shortfall and there is a small amount for your... So it's a cost plus basis. Here's a small amount for your profit. Rather than being told by someone, here's how much it is, here's how much it owes, the whole fiasco that we've had with the trains. So I believe that if we have a scientific approach to actually get to the costings of each of the individual services to the islands and then finding out and then working with that private supplier about how we make up the shortfall in the subsidy and then here is your net profit on top. Small margin. You see, this is this is where if the government... So Willie knows what he's talking about there. He works in a cost-plus industry. He's built Scotland's biggest private employer on a cost-plus basis. So he's willing to help the government sit down, work it out. I'm sure Willie could work it out in an afternoon. So let's go on with it. Well, hopefully they will be listening to you. But one thing the Scottish government has done that's been very good, I, I hope you might not agree, but the Scotland's National Investment Bank has put £30 million into the expansion of Aberdeen Harbour to support the offshore wind projects. We've also seen resolution of the Freeport dispute. So welcome news and a sign the Scottish Government is listening to business, Tom. So I welcome the fact that we now have a Scottish National Investment Bank 
Um, I think they've chosen a good chairman and Willie Watt. Willie comes from the real world, understands, he's, he's got a good um, track record. Um, but once again, I think um, the bank is constrained because it's been designed by politicians with not a lot of input from the private sector. But I do welcome what's happened up in Aberdeen because we need to be looking now We've got a green agenda, absolutely. We need to transition from the traditional oil and gas. Let's not close it down tomorrow, though, and then import all our needs, putting Scottish jobs on the scrap heap. Let's have an intelligent transition to green, and Aberdeen Harbour will play a vital role once again in that transition. So, good on them. Willie? Like Tom, I think Willie Watt is a great appointment. I've had um, many dealings with Willie over the years. Um, the only thing I would say is that um, all the investments they've had at the moment, I think maybe four or five, um, Green has been at the heart of every investment. And I don't think we were told that when SNIB was put together that it was going to be the Green Investment Bank. So I, I'd like to see them looking at, you know, a few more risky, you know, investments, uh, more entrepreneurial. Um, but people now know very quickly if you're going to the the you know, the, the, the bank, that they have to have Green at the heart of what you're talking about. So the, the $200 million a year, I think, that they're going to spend over the next 10 years, I, I think that the they may struggle to find uh, projects that have the whole green agenda at the heart of what they're doing. You know, they, I think it, they might struggle to spend the £200 million a year. So we cheered by the fact that Kate Forbes managed to negotiate with the UK government over free ports and it looks like Scotland will end up now having two. Yeah, I mean, I, I think free ports, I'm not, it's not my specialist subject, free ports, but from what I read... It should be a good thing. You know, goods can be brought in, can be held tax-free, can be exported out. Um, I think there was a few misnomers in the Scottish government resisting it, but it had to be a living wage. Well, there will be a living wage, you know, because these are good jobs that are going to be created. Therefore, a bit of politics again, which drives me around a twist. Get behind it. If the idea comes from Westminster, great. If the idea comes from Hollywood... Holyrood, sorry. If it's a good idea, get behind it. If it's good for Scotland, get on the bus. Good for Scotland, Willie? I think it's great. I think, to be fair, like Tom, I don't completely understand it. It kind of sounds like the old kind of bonded warehousing, you know, facility. So for me, anything at all that is going to help the economy, kickstart the economy, help business, especially help the country, yeah, I'm I'm all for it, but I would like to. I'm I'm actually going to make a point of learning more about what free ports actually mean. But once you know, Willie, let me know. Yes, so I'll not need to read it. <laughs> well, Scottish companies are set to float on stock markets in the greatest numbers seen for years. Is this an increasing sign of optimism? And what makes Scottish firms so attractive, Tom? Well, you know, um, it used to be floating in the stock exchange was a great recognition for a growing company, great form of a source of capital and a prestige. I think now the London Stock Exchange has fallen behind, actually. The, there is more private capital about these days, Donald. Therefore, businesses don't need to float in order to get these sources of capital. 
a lot of businesses, especially tech businesses, are funded by private capital. There's, you know, private equity, there's venture funds, there's a whole plethora of financing which has disrupted the stock exchange and the stock exchange has not innovated. So the prestige it used to one day in the past hold doesn't hold it anymore. And if it's going to survive, it's going to have to bring itself up to speed. Really? We, as a large private company, we have been approached many, many times about floating the company and this new wave of, you know, the SPACs that have been put together. People are on you every single day asking you to try and float it. I think, for me, if you want to control your business and keep running your business, then certainly floating your business. There's stories in the paper over the last few weeks. People regret floating their businesses. I think the reason why Scottish businesses are so attractive, from back to the question, is because people see value. Right, I don't want to say that they're cheap, but people see value. My worry is that um, over the years, looking at some of the Scottish companies that went on to be PLCs, it generally meant a lot of the jobs moved out of Scotland. And that was a big, big disappointment for me. Where you have, you know, local entrepreneurs who built up businesses who have an affinity with an area. Well, I, can, I can tell you, I had a chance to sell my business oh, 20 years ago for a lot of a huge amount of money back then and uh, after discussions with the owners of this PLC that wanted to buy us I told them that the two things that were most important to me was one that the call centre stayed in Scotland because I'd just built it and that my five and my senior management team are well looked after so when they put uh, their infrastructure on top of my infrastructure on day one when we met they said no that's fine that's great that's brilliant whatever we started talking about numbers Within three weeks, uh, the chief executive of the company came up with the finance director. I'll never forget this. And we're in the boardroom and everybody had been going swimmingly. And the finance director brought a piece of paper and it was all about the numbers, how much we're going to sell from what have you. And then I says, look, before we get to that, I just need assurances about the two questions I asked a few weeks ago. And he says, look, you know, don't worry about it. You know, like we, we, we've got a block, uh, we, you know, we have a, 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 a whole block of a building in Wolverhampton where we can move the, the call centre in there. And, you know, your guys may fit in or not fit in. And I, and I just said, stop, <laughs> stop. I said, this is uh, not happening. Right, so this is my 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 worries were born true there that the guy had just actually told me in my face what they were planning to do within months and I didn't proceed with the deal. So it's great that people float their businesses, make a lot of money. For me, the impact in Scotland, I think, has is, is, is not been good. Yeah, the good news though, Donald, is that there is because of the disruption of the financing, there are so many more sources of capital available for yeah. growing businesses now. So it used to be that floating your company was the only way to go. But now you've got you've got a plethora of different financing options. And I think that's only healthy. Yes, totally agree with that. Talking of deals and value, I couldn't quite get my head around this because Unilever failed in a £50 billion bid for Glaxo's consumer empire. How on earth could they make money in such a huge deal? Has the world gone mad or what am I not understanding, Tom? Well, um, first of all, Unilever run by a Scotsman, um, Alan Yope. Mm -hmm. um, a good guy in my book. Um, the city don't seem to think so. <laughs> so he sits there and he's looking for growth and he sees a bunch of brands sitting in another company which he thinks he can he can 
bring value to. He can put them on a growth trajectory. And the numbers are eye-watering. But first of all, the company that had them didn't like his numbers and the city hated it. Alan's under a bit of pressure. There's an activist investor came on his um, shareholder register. And, you know, he there's there's a there's a big case just now, and Unilever's at the centre of it. And there's a fund manager called Terry Smith who does very well and he actually manages some of our money. Um I don't always agree with him, but um and he has said there was a problem with Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And they took it out of the West Bank in Palestine because they didn't like the politics. And Terry Smith said, why on earth do you have an opinion in that? If the people want to buy Ben and Jerry's ice cream, sell them Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Your job as the chief executive of that company is to maximise shareholder return. And Alan Yopes' kind of response was, well, I've got a bigger agenda than just the shareholders. Who's right? We'll need to wait and see. Yeah, but I think that's all about ESG. There's more to it now than just selling the people ice cream, right? So he's looking at everything there in, in Palestine. But that is the problem. And and to be fair, you know, Terry Smith has a great track record. But when it comes to this, you know, they're obviously the new way of thinking that, you know, when it comes to investment now, um, I think there'll be more and more questions. And, and Alan's approach probably fits more now with new money than it does with old money. Yeah, Terry's, Terry's great at sitting in his um, Mauritius space and telling us what to do. But his returns are good. Well, your money. <laughs> well, talking of fund managers, Scottish business giant Martin Gilbert staging a full-scale city comeback with his new company, Asset Co. He, of course, founded Aberdeen Asset Management. How good an operator is he then, Tom? Oh, well, Martin is one of the great Scots, in my opinion. Don't often agree with his politics, but in terms of knowing the business, learning it from the bottom up, Martin is a campaigner. And um, I've got every respect for what he's doing. And he's still got a voracious appetite, you know, um, not quite sure what age Martin is. 66, Must be. I think. Yeah. So, but he wants to go again. He sees disruption in that industry and he wants to lead it. So, good on him. Really? Well, I don't know much about Martin. I've met him a couple of times, but very briefly. But what I have been impressed with is he's always tried to promote Scotland, you know, his, his sponsorship of the goal. We have Aberdeen Asset Management trying to keep, you know, the, the, the Scottish Open right up there, you know, with the rest. So all I can say is, is that he, as, as Tom says, he's had a huge impact in the business side in, in Scotland. But I think that... Um, I think, I hope at 66, I'll have the same hunger to want to have another go. (laughs) Transform Scotland, that's an alliance of 60 sustainable transport groups called for a tax on frequent flyers, as exclusively revealed in the Herald on Sunday. A fair, eco-friendly move or damaging for the airline industry, Tom? Difficult one. You know, we all have green at our heart now and rightly so. Um, but what's the alternative? One of the one of the drawbacks of um, living in Scotland is we're, we're a bit geographically separate from sometimes the decision-making, sometimes the 
the heart of things. And therefore, I made a decision a long time ago that I wanted to live in Scotland and I just said, right, travel is going to be part of it. And, you know, going up and down to London in various forms. I know Willie does it sometimes in the one day. Therefore, can airlines come up with an eco-friendly, you know, they're, they're talking about the aviation fuel, that could be more eco-friendly. They're talking about electric planes, Wow, something innovative. So we need to be connected in Scotland. We need transport that connects us to the rest of the world, um, but we need to do it in an environmentally friendly way. Willie? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a tough one. You know, that's, um, it says we're, we're challenged in, in geographically. I, I always have a chuckle when I'm talking to Americans and they say, no, we'd love it to come over and meet you. I says, where are you? I says, well, we're in Glasgow. Great, we'll meet you in London. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, it, I know, it means nothing to yeah, them. But I think we've got enough clever people in the aviation industry and I think we're going to make great strides in the whole green issues Good. in relation to air travel. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Good. I hope so. Well, talking of air travel, British Airways is to bring back complimentary food and drinks in all its flights after the chief exec, Sean Doyle, admitted it made a mistake axing them six years ago. Too late for the brand or a welcome return to the brand of old, Tom? <laughs> well, this is all about what does your brand stand for? Now, British Airways used to have a tagline, the world's favourite airline. I don't think they can say that anymore, Willie. Um, because I think other brands overtook them. You know, if your brand is quality, then you really need to understand your customer and know what your customer wants. If your customer wants a cheaper experience, then that's what you got to give them. But British Airways, for me, was always a quality delivery. But now when I'm flying long haul, etc., there are so many better operators out there. And um, does a cup of tea and a bit of shortbread help me choose it doesn't when I'm going between Glasgow and London I don't have a choice I've got to fly British Airways really Willie five years ago I remember being on a British Airways flight to London and actually having a conversation with the stewardess about excuse me can you actually tell me what I'm getting here for paying for business class and the answer was nothing nothing <laughs> right and I says you guys have lost the plot altogether. And the lady agreed with me. And then I bought a first-class ticket on BA to, to go to the States. And it was just as bad. I totally agree with, with Tom. And I, I have to say this, I've not travelled with BA for over five years. Have you not, Wally? No. And yeah. probably since the time, you know, obviously it started six years ago, BA just forgot about the customer. And, and I've spoke to many, many people who uh, agree with me. I haven't met anyone yet who wants to disagree with me where there was there was no, if you wanted to pay a bit more, you were getting nothing from it, from, from BA. So is there a lesson there for businesses when identifying areas to make savings? Oh, definitely. I mean, the customer should be at the centre of everything you do as a business. And what happens is big companies get arrogant, they get bloated, they get stupid, and they don't listen. They put layers of management between the decision makers and the customer, and the bigger they get, the stupider they get. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. In the latest of our brilliant series of Great Scots, we tell the story of Borders Biscuits. 
The Border Biscuit story starts in 1984 when John Cunningham bought a tiny factory in Lanark and with almost no machinery and only four helpers, he set out to make the best biscuits he could. His theory was simple. If the biscuits were good enough, word would spread. And it sure did. Soon new recipes such as dark chocolate gingers were added and the brand began to take off. By 1996, the business had no choice but to move to bigger and better premises and took residence in a Lanarkshire factory which still remains their biscuit-making home to this day. By 2013, demand had grown further with over 300,000 biscuits being produced every week and distributed all over the world. In 2015, dark chocolate gingers were officially revealed to be the nation's favourite biscuit, a feat which the company remains fiercely proud of. By this point, over 20 million of the biscuit had been produced, using approximately 155 tonnes of chocolate. Not bad considering such humble beginnings. In 2019, the business outlined its commitment to the environment by eliminating 90% of plastic from its core retail packaging, a move which earned the business widespread praise. The business became a prime example of not only running a successful, profitable business, but doing in the most efficient way possible for the environment, with many others following suit. Baking beautifully crafted biscuits has remained at the heart of the business throughout their near 40-year existence and today. Border Biscuits stands proudly as the leading supplier of premium biscuits in Scotland. You've got a sweet tooth, haven't you, Willie? Fantastic. <laughs> Another great story, you know, in local in Lanarkshire. Yeah, I must admit, yes, I have um, used a few of the products in the past. <laughs> Brilliant. Another great Scottish story. Brilliant. I mean, just, I, I love the great Scots feature in the show. I've got an amazing history, and hopefully that will inspire others to get off their backside and start their business today. We're now joined by Mark Scott, Chief Emotions Officer, and his Chief Operating Officer, Tony Otley. Mark, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome, guys. Morning, guys. Thank you. Mark, I've got to ask you, Chief Emotions Officer. Oh. Yes, well, I think um, I think more importantly, people, when you're running a, a fast-growing company, there's lots of challenges coming at you, and someone has to pretend to know what they're doing <laughs> and uh, often that talks of you know with the challenges you've you know it's important to have a optimism at the top of the the chain so that was why i went with that that's a really unusual move though isn't it so is the culture of your business what's most important to you but before we get to that can you explain to the listeners what your business is all about yeah so by the way we we started it just under five years ago um Tony, my business partner, uh, and myself, we had four dogs, and three of them got cancer all under the age of 10. Yeah. So uh, at that time, I'd been working on my own health. I was a nice, round 17 and a half stone lad. Really? Uh, really good at drinking and smoking, uh, doing all that stuff. And I started working on my own health, and just felt great. You know, I just amazing. I had so much energy. I hadn't realized how important good nutrition was. And then it dawned on me that when I started looking at the size of the packets of dog food, just how much crap ingredients was in there uh, and and because of that Tony and I got starting uh, about how can we produce, produce a really good pet food that's going to enhance pets lives and uh, that was the story of Tony yeah. and I and Tony's uh, background was very much in in meat and, and producing meat for um, the supermarkets. Yep. Basically we wanted a, a diet that was a species appropriate diet. Now people think that dry dog food which is full of carbohydrates and sugar, is good for dogs because that's what they've been told. But what we've come up with, and, and it's it's not just us, others are doing the same thing, that is a raw diet 
which is appropriate for dogs. And as Mark said a number of times, have you ever seen a dog round a campfire cooking its food? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, but you wouldn't give a, a dolphin crackers. You wouldn't feed a lion uh, chocolate bars or, or, or dry food. A lion bar, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Oh, maybe. <laughs> but, um. It's a bit early to send <laughs> So I've got to admit, I'm a fan because Frank, our dog, is a customer. Fantastic. I was going to say I'm a customer, but I pay for it, but Frank eats <laughs> he it. He enjoys <laughs> it. And it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Looking at your website, I was quite surprised about how many customers you've actually got uh, and how many meals are being delivered. Do you want to tell us about the scale of your business right now and how you got to that scale? So, yeah, we've got about uh, 140,000 customers within the, the, the database. Um, and we're a D2C, so what that means is we're direct to the consumer. So we haven't gone down the bricks and mortar. So there's challenges with that um, and there's pros and cons of both. I think... The pros are definitely you, you get to know your customer, um, you get to know the data, you get to, to, to do bespoke engagement with them and build that relationship. And we have a very strong following and community, as we call the pack, online on, on, on Facebook and stuff. And that's really, really an amazing place to get direct feedback from customers. And the another upside is, I mean, if you're reliant on retail, you know, it only takes one of the big guys to say, we're no longer going to control your stock and then your business is gone. So... But you can you can scale up very, very quickly that way. Um, so we've recruited one customer at a time. Um, and you know, we're now at a business doing 25 million in four and a half years. And did you make the decision to go down D to C? Did you say, right, we're, we're not yes. going to, we're going to control our own destiny, understand our customer. So that was a yes. direct decision of you. Yes, guys. that was yeah. right from the beginning. Right. And one of the things it does as well is... By going direct to the consumer, we don't have to compromise the quality of the product. Right. And what I mean by that is if we had somebody between us and the consumer, we, they would need to earn a, a margin. Of course. And then you would need to then look at the product and what you're producing. Right. Yep. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. okay. so Very, it's, it's a big lesson for our listeners. But, but anybody now. listening to this, you know, I would tell them that they are from any startup, no matter which sector you're in, to, to grow from a startup to a £25 million turnover in a short period of time you've done is phenomenal business. You know, well yep, done. You done yep. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Must be tough though for you because it's an entrenched market of dry tinned food. <laughs> How do you establish yourself when everybody's been brought up to feed their dogs tinned food? That's a good question um, because that's, people think that's what we need to feed our dogs because that's what we've been told to feed our dogs. But there used to be an old saying called the best fed dog's a butcher's dog. Yes, <laughs> right? Indeed. Right? indeed. Uh, so we go back and uh, we look at dog's health today. Obesity being the number one problem with dogs. Why has a dog or a cat got an obesity problem? And that's because what we're feeding them through these, what we call normal foods that people expect to feed, it's full of sugar and carbohydrates. And a dog cannot digest that. And I have this problem, I have two wee dogs, you know, it's trying to find something that they like, you know, and so you, when they were pups, so you'd get them onto the, the small dry food lumps and then try and move them onto chicken. My dogs will go 
um, after certain foods for a short period of time, then they'll change their mind that they don't like them, mm-hmm. and you know, and try to f- find an exact product that they absolutely love. I think the biggest problem is we feed them too much. We forget the size of yeah, our stomachs. That's, that's a big part of it, also. But imagine this: if you were to eat the same food every day of your life for the whole of your life, mm-hmm. how awful that would be. Yes. And that's when dogs develop intolerances and problems. Therefore, by giving them a mixed diet. So we, we, we advocate in our box a chicken meal, a duck meal, a turkey meal, uh, a beef meal, a lamb meal, a fish meal. So the dog gets a different variety every day. Sounds better than me. But Tony, I need to tell you, that's not what vets tell you. No. It's not what vets tell you. No. But vets only get a very half a day's worth of nutrition yeah. when they're at vet school. Yeah. When do you ever go to the doctors and they ask you what you eat? Yeah. Doctors don't even ask that question, you know. So they're there to yeah, fix symptoms yeah. and not and not. No, no it's, it's actually worse with that with vets, but you don't ask them. They tell you. Yeah, yeah they yeah, tell yeah, you yeah. this is what you should feed you your dog. You see who they're sponsored in, usually by the, yeah. the waiting room. You know, if, yeah. if doctors did the same, you'd be like, wow. Vets uh, <laughs> do a great job, but a lot of what they're doing today is is is, is not preventative. It's react, reactionary medicine, yeah. and and it's trying to sort solve the problems. But we're not getting to the root of the problem, and we are what we eat. And that's the problem with our dogs and cats. And 99.9999% of the species on planet Earth eat raw. Yeah. It's it's yeah. us who don't eat raw. No, it makes and then, sense. Uh, and then we put on domesticated animals and wonder why there's so many chronic diseases in the human world yeah. and in the domesticated animals. So have you had any... Um, so, so you're disrupting an industry, and yes. I love disruptors. Yeah. And um, so who's... What's the challenges been? Who's been going, oh, no, 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 no. Um, the vested interests, who are the... <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try to keep it, it clean. Take, so the challenge you've got is um, even though when, you know, if you take fats, for example, for years and years and years, we were told fats were bad for us, you know. And, and then we discovered that the research was actually done by a food company trying to hide <laughs> sugars. Uh, and then when you look back at it and you go, this is a whole medical theory was based on a few research, but no one questioned it. What I love about today is the consumer has a voice. Right. So and they've got information. And they've got information. Uh, some good, some bad. Yes, um, yes. But they've 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 got a voice. So they can now meet as somebody else who's so if you've got like a Westie group and they start talking about, oh my Westie had itchy skin, I've changed him to raw. And that itchiness is gone. I no longer have to give all the chemicals and creams that the vet has been supplying me with. Okay. So that's now what's happening is that now people are talking, talking. That is the best um, uh, evidence for us going forward yeah. is, is what people on the ground are seeing. As Tony said, vets are only given six, six, you know, six hours or half a day or a day's worth of nutrition and they've got to cover all species. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I hope my cardiologist is listening to this. I want to go back to pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> You're not good back. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, the, the challenge of being a disruptor is I don't know any other industry where the medical profession says that processed food is better than natural food. If that was your doctor, you'd get a different doctor. Right. I'm no scientist. I'm no vet. But I figured this stuff out. Right. You know? <laughs> Here, here's a big question. You've done a phenomenal job growing the business to the size it is in this short period of time. And if this continues, you know, if the, the sales growth continues, obviously you've got a big question, right? So 
where do you think where is the the goal where do you want to get to and and how, how what do you have to change to get to that number Shall I start on, mm-hmm. on you go Mark um, so we've always seen ourselves as a pet wellness yeah. business um, and there's a there's even in you know if you think of wellness when you go to a wellness center as a human um, that's where we want to be for the pets so you go in there to prevent things rather than fix things there's a massive gap between even with pet insurance if we can show that if you feed your pet right we can maybe get some of these activities to go actually you know what food plays such an important role in the pet's health that we can actually reduce those because you're not paying huge vet bills because you're not trying to put out the fire that you're causing by the feed so there's a huge area even down to for example um most people give dogs worming tablets I mean, our research has already shown that only 6% of dogs that we've tested have had worms. Right. Yeah, but so many of them are feeding it. And we don't know what it's doing to, to the, the body. So we, uh, we, we advocate that you should go and get your dogs tested for worms. Don't give them worm tablets for, you know, and put chemicals in their body. So it's that sort of a wellness approach yeah. that we take. Yeah, to it. yeah, yeah. And, and on the way up, has Scotland been a good place to grow your business? It's been phenomenal, hasn't it? I mean, um, we, we start off with Scottish Edge. Scottish Edge, uh, Which brilliant. was a brilliant, uh, you know, and and what that did... How was that experience? Just just maybe the listeners won't know about Scottish Edge. Yeah, so Scottish Edge is, is, is a competition that um, yourself has obviously helped put together <laughs> and it's been, uh, it's been, it was phenomenal. And, Lily as well. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, uh, and what, what we found really useful that was we had a certain period of time that we wanted to, you know, between the first round, the second round, third round of, of qualifications and you wanted to hit your growth in that next one so you could go hey we said we were going to do this and we actually did it we weren't full of hot air and we didn't do one that was bizarre <laughs> um, and then that we, we, we won the Scottish Edge which was brilliant and that yep. gave us I think what Scottish Edge did which was great was that um, it got us out there recognised throughout the Scottish entrepreneurial industry right? and lots of Scottish entrepreneurs contacted us great. and one contact contacted us on that day and was that Kevin? Kevin, Kevin yeah. Yep. We met Kevin, which was great. And then Kevin came along and met our business and really keen to, in, to invest. And he provided funds along with another couple of uh, investors. And that got us on the, on the way. Right. And that was the start of, the, of, of, of putting good money into the company to get it growing. Yeah, good. And Scottish Edge facilitated that. Great. So where are you now? How many employees do you have? Where are you actually based? Well, we started in, uh, in an office in Blair Gowrie. In Perthshire. I was through Blair Gowrie and I still saw the sign and I yeah. went, oh, I wonder if the boys are still in there. <laughs> still there. <laughs> but um, what, what we did when we started, um, funding a factory is a very difficult thing to do when you've not got an awful lot to fund. So we outsourced our, our manufacturing. We outsourced it to a company in England that did it for us under license. And we had people, our own people there on site monitoring what was being made on our behalf. We brought manufacturing in-house uh, November November 20. So that's a big step. So Massive step. What was the thinking behind that? Um, we wanted to control the full the full supply so chain. It was about control. It was about control and making sure the quality was was optimum. Uh, bringing, it, bringing it to Scotland, we decided to put it in Scotland. We, right. we, we built the factory in Inverkeething. Okay. Uh, and February 20, at the beginning of lockdown, we employed 30 people. Today we employ just short of 140 people. Wow, amazing, fantastic! So we've um, we've grown 100% compound growth the last three years. Um, the factory has, has allowed us to expand. 
The facility in England who was uh, manufacturing on our behalf couldn't produce the product that we needed, the quantity that we needed. So our own factories come in and, and we've got sufficient capacity to see us grow for the next two to three years. Um, it's been, it's been a, a great journey. Uh, we've moved our fulfillment centre just last week from Perth down to Inverkeithing. So we're all operations are now under one roof. And we supply across the whole of the United Kingdom. And we now supply Northern Ireland again. We had a, a little blip recently with Brexit and we couldn't supply Northern Ireland. But now we are back supplying there. Um, we've got a customer base there. So Tony, tell the people that are listening, um, you're, you're obviously dealing direct. So tell the people, give yourselves a plug, name of the company and how they can get in touch with Mark. Uh, the, the company's called Bella and Duke. Yeah. Um, best way to get in touch with us is, is, is through the internet, through the, the website or Facebook or what other channels yeah. are out there yeah. um, growing. That's the best way to, to okay. get in touch with us. And, uh, yeah. But th- this is, the, you know, the reason why me and Tom get involved in all of the initiatives to get people to start up businesses. We would love it if, you know, in 10 years' time, 100 people come in like you started enough and we employed 130 people. We manufactured in England. We moved up here. Yeah. This this is, you know, if we were to write a story for what we were trying to achieve, this is it. So, well done. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, you know, m- more power at your elbow. But I think that you've also mentioned the edge you know, and Entrepreneurial Scotland, all of these things and how we're helping network. And, and as Tom says, you know, we will know, send the right people in. Kevin comes to talk mm-hmm. to you, they know a bit about this marketing. These are all the things that, that we are here to try and help. This is what this programme is about to try and promote, start up, scale up, whatever it might be. But um, absolutely fantastic story. Yeah. What yeah. a growth in, in that amount of time. And, and I feel so fortunate it's in Scotland because I don't know any other part of the UK where the yeah. network, especially with the scale of Scotland, and just being in the same boat as other people coming across the different same challenges at the same time, that, that that's good. Yeah. So, so maybe just talk about Scale Up Scotland because the listeners might not know what that's about. Uh, so Scale Up Scotland um, is it's a cohort of similar sort of businesses on the same sort of growth trajectory. Uh, so each each two months we have a, a, a theme that we go through and... Uh, and we've actually met a lot of people who've helped our business from doing that, uh, whether it's the speakers or other people within the cohort. Uh, it's been it's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and you don't know what you don't know. And often it's going around the bend going, I wish I knew that bend was coming. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it's been really, really, really useful yeah. for us. I mean, one of the reasons we, we set up Scale Up Scotland, and it was you and Hunter who came up with the idea, was way back in the day while well, the Entrepreneur Exchange used to, have focused dinners yes. which, which you came to and spoke and we just thought for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs and the secret sauce I think but you, you'll you be able to tell me is putting like-minded people from very different industries and then just watching it happen so I'm really struggling with this what did you do? Mm. Oh well I did this what, what did you do? and I just love watching that take place but any any feedback of because we want to grow the scale up Scotland because startups are good but scale ups are great and it's scale ups that move the economic dial in Scotland and that's what we've really got to get behind. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, you read in the papers over the last few weeks we've lost thirty thousand small businesses and so really it's more important than it's ever been that we are helping with the whole mm. networking, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I came and spoke at one of the scale events before Christmas and it was brilliant. And and 
what people don't realise is the audience that I'm talking to there, I'm getting as much out of listening <laughs> to them afterwards than I am, you know, than, than what I'm trying to relay to them. So, but we, we've we just been fee, talking about it. Yeah, the fee. The fee, yeah, <laughs> still waiting for that. Yeah, Tom's not a good payer. But, but what, we, what we've been talking about it this morning, you know, that we want to, after the... You know, after the, the all the dust is settled on the pandemic, that we want to get back to making sure that all that connectivity is there. That's going to be a big, big part of the show to make sure that we get everybody back together again. What's great about uh, Scale Up Scotland is, as Mark said, it's like-minded entrepreneurs, yeah. business people looking for help yeah. and bouncing ideas off each other. It's a fantastic network. Yeah. But I have to say, uh, at the last one, Ken, who, who, who runs it with Ken, you, well, yep. Ken, he, he said, what what would you like uh, the, the topic to be for the last session that we've got? We've got two more sessions to go. And uh, we discussed, well, internationalization. You know, yeah. how can we grow our companies abroad? Yeah. And Ken's going to facilitate that for us and actually have someone there to yeah. talk about well, internationalization. And and that's might, great. It might be Willie, because Willie's in Australia, he's in the Far East, he's in America. <laughs> He's all over the place. I've done my stint. You can go and have a wee chat. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, can I ask you, both of you individually, what's the best piece of advice or best lesson you've learned in your business journeys? Come to you first, Mark. (laughs) Every decade. Yeah, 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 yeah. He needs it. Um, (laughs) Every every decade, you you find something relevant to you at that stage. I think my biggest lesson was I met a lot of really smart people who were just scared. Really? Wow. Yeah, just scared to get off and do it. And where I'm the opposite, I just don't think and do do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you learn by doing. I, I learn by doing. I definitely yeah yeah big, us, big yeah big pictures. And so yeah, I, I mean the, the 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 big thing I'm focused on as a company right now, and I take to my guys is done is better than perfect. Um, but at the same time, I caveat that with uh, um, good enough is the enemy of greatness. So some things we have to be absolutely amazing at and some things we just got to get done. Yeah. And it's it's then to find the, the two that. parts. That's yeah. very good. Tony, yeah. you've had time to think? Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it's, um, it's really important to bring the right people into the business at the right time, uh, the professionals. And I call them the professionals and we have to... As founders, we have to know what we're good at and what we're not so good at and relinquish that to the professionals to come in and run the operation in certain parts. Uh, and that's really important. Yeah. Uh, and we surround ourselves by a great team of people. And it's just not Mark and I that's taking the business to where it is today. It's the team that we've got around yeah. us. Can I, can I say something? And I've just kind of learned this over the last few months that uh, I've never ever sat down and thought about, you know, what's the one thing that a leader must do if you're leading your businesses. And I've been, I've been amazed over the last few months where there's been a few occasions where I've been, like I'll give you an example, I was doing a talk for Oxford University two weeks ago and talking to 60 people who work for the government. And it was interesting that the one thing that people are looking for from their leader is inspiration. Right, and that was coming through loud and clear. So for me, I'm going to change my tact a wee bit, you know, when I'm talking to you, but it's not about guidance, it's not about anything else, but just your point about portraying that confidence that you're going to get to where you're trying to get to is more important than anything as a leader of that. But you're good, you've got joint leaders, which is great. So, you know, two years can bounce off each other. But um, I, I think that this story 
is is something that we should promote for everything we're trying to do. This should be the story we should talk about at scale up about entrepreneurial Scotland. Um, I'm amazed. I'm amazed, absolutely amazed. To 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 if everybody started their business five years ago and employed 140 people, this country would be rocking. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you know as well. I said if if we were to get a blueprint, you know, you've come through Scottish Edge, you've come through Scale Up Scotland, and then all I would ask, as as you know, is just put up something back yeah. for those who are Absolutely. just mm-hmm. in the start of the ladder. Yeah, because these things we offer you, is, but if Scotland's going to flourish, it's because the entrepreneurial community support each other. Yeah. So more power to your elbow. Right. Fantastic story, guys. And Frank the Cockapoo says, yeah. thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I will definitely be buying the product for my dogs. Yeah, and you, you've got a new <laughs> customer. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Tony. We're going to our phone lines now to talk to Scott Patterson, who's the owner of Schools Out Centres Limited. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hi there. How are you doing? Morning, Morning Scott. Scott. Morning. What's your question for Tom and Willie? Well, I was... I've obviously got a childcare service and the constant messages of work from home have really worked against us. And I was wondering, why do you think the government have not recommended or encouraged parents who use school-aged childcare services to continue doing so whilst parents are working from home? Oh, a tough wee question there. I'm coming to Willie first. I think Scott had all been doing to finance. I think a lot of parents probably use centres because obviously they were having to travel to work, and as you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a you know it's a babysitting service as well, and they're paying for that. And I think if they were in the home, there was no need for them um, to do that during this period. So I think that um, that's why the government haven't recommended that people should still use centres. Scott, it's Tom here. Um, give your Hi, Tom. give your business a wee a wee plug before we before we go on. Well, we're an out of school care service, so basically that's a breakfast club in the morning so the children would come in the morning we provide breakfast some light activities we see them into school and then at, at the end of the school day we collect them again we bring them in there's a light snack provided and then there's a range of kind of activities no active play creative play um, you know things where the children can it's part of the, the school day almost because it's a continuation of school but it's the educational side's removed and it's really a play environment and, and, um, and whereabouts is your premises Scott? So we're in Erskine, we cover Erskine and in Shannon. Um, so we do kind of collections from school, transport the children to, to your centres in, in Erskine and Renfrewshire. Right, so so what you're asking the, this, the, this morning is for the government to keep promoting an out-of-school service, as as it were. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we are perfectly placed. The, the, the main, main concern with children at the moment is their well-being and their mental health. And we're perfectly placed. You know, the children at come to us, we, we know them really well. We can tell when their, their moods are, are, are up or down and we're perfectly placed. But the work from home message has, you know, it's it's decimated us basically. It's, it's cut our, our business almost by 50%. Oh dear. Scott, I would say, yeah, yeah, you know, everything that's happened during the pandemic has not been good for you like other industries. But I think, don't get down. I think things are going to come back. This is a service that people need. Right, this is a great service, and I think once people get back, and people will get back to working from the office, and so trust me, things will definitely pick up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would just echo what Willie's saying there. I mean, these are the unintended consequences which government, quite frankly, 
don't think about because they can't think about everything. But I would I would say what the service you're providing as you're describing it is a fantastic service. Therefore, stick in there, don't get down, keep doing what you're doing, provide a good service to your customer, and I think you're you're gonna thrive. Yep. Best of luck, Scott. Good luck. Uh, Brian, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks luck, for calling Scott. in. Thank you, Let Scott. us know how you got on. Yeah, let us know how you got on. Keep in touch. I will do. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow, of course, is Valentine's Day. And I hope you've already ordered the flowers and got a nice card. Are <coughs> your romantics are always looking at the business opportunities from these special days, Tom? Oh, my goodness. Um, thanks for reminding me. Um, <laughs> obviously, I, w- I was on it, or Julianne, my PA was, was was definitely on it. Um, I, I mean, all of these event type um, are business opportunities, as as far as I can see. And um, we, it's about understanding your customer. What we talk about all the time, putting the customer at the centre of all you do. And if you if you do that, I mean, look at the plethora of gifts you can now get online. Well. I hope so anyway, because that's, that's where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Willie? Well, never want to give up an opportunity. Um, I was in my flower shop this morning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm now heading to my greeting card shop. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely um, Valentine's Day, like now, like Easter, everything. You, they've all been commercially exploited, let's say. You know, they're all much, much bigger than they used to be. You would probably think that a Valentine's Day spend 30 years ago might have cost £30 or whatever it might be now. Now you've talked about a bunch of flowers, a nice card, a dinner, maybe even a romantic night away. So I think that uh, certainly that the spend in these special occasions has certainly went through. So and to answer in a business sense, yeah, it's certainly good for business. Unfortunately, that's all we've time for. Don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk.